Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Uh, joined in studio by Congresswoman Johanna Hayes of the 5th District here on Brian and Company. First of all, it's great to see you. Good morning, Brian. Great to see you Did as you well. Did you have a good summer? Busy. Okay. You know, we were just talking, I mean, education is... It's where you arrived in this adult world, right? You did so much work in the world of education. We just had the superintendent of schools in Bristol on, and we were talking off off mic about about it. And this time of year, probably still you, your muscle memory is still like back to school because all the years teaching. And we were just talking about, and I asked a couple of superintendents, and they they're so good, they're media savvy now, so they get very talking pointish. And I can't get this question a really good answer. Like in terms of the coming out of the pandemic. Which age group do you think was affected the most? And I'm curious of what you think, just reflecting on, you know, your friends and your own family, you know, there's elementary, there's toddlers, there's middle school, there's high school. And they were all, I think, in some ways damaged by what happened. But what do you think? Well, I think you can't get an answer because there is no right answer. Every age group was affected, and we won't see that for many years to come. Our youngest students, those basic fundamental skills from, you know, preschool, kindergarten, that really help fuel them in their later years, those kids are going to be behind our middle school kids. My son was in sixth grade when they came out of school. He's a public school student, and now he's entering high school as a 14-year-old and just has had a non-traditional, disruptive middle school years. And then our high school kids who would have typically been getting ready for college, doing their community service and internships and all of the things that prepare them to go off to school, all of those things have been disrupted. And I think it's why, as a legislator, I advocated for $250 million to come to the state of Connecticut specifically for education so that we could have summer programs, wraparound programs, outside of school experiences to try to close some of those learning gaps. Because, I mean, we had an unprecedented crisis and we did what we had to do in the moment, but now we have to bring those kids back up to speed. So before I get to the funding, which I want to ask you about, you know, I have a 14-year-old, too, who is also a, a freshman in high school, a little bit older th- than your son. What concerns you more, the social-emotional side or the actual academic side? I think a little bit of both because the two things work together. Um, kids have to be ready to learn. And so we have to pay attention to all of those things, just the physical building and being in school. If kids are worried about a family member who died, their parents don't have jobs, they don't know where their next meal is coming from, then they're not learning. So we have to address those social-emotional needs as well. We have lots of kids returning from the most traumatic experience in their lives back to school. They're not just going to be buckled down and be you know, focused on learning. We have to address all those things. Again, it's why I fought for funding for social workers, school psychologists, behavior therapists, all of the people who are generally the first to go when school districts face budget shortages. And is that money feeding through to the right places? I'm I'm a little bit cynical when it comes to funding. It's not just education. I just feel like administrative costs. And I'm not. I'm an independent, but I do believe in like the bloat of of administration and bureaucracies. I think it's real. How much of that money actually feeds through to those programs you talked about, to those staffing? 
you should be cynical. I mean, these are taxpayer dollars. Everybody should want to know where their tax funds are going. And I think it's why the American Rescue Plan, we had to turn that around very quickly. But one of the things that we fought really hard for was for local municipalities to have some autonomy and control over how money is spent because they know best. People at the ground levels know best. I, My district is 41 towns, Republicans, Democrats, independents, first selectmen, mayor, who all accepted this money and now are able to use it for first responders, for community resources, for all of the things that they know better than I do, how it should be used. So we're just watching carefully to make sure the money is spent in the way in which it was intended. We want to talk about the campaign uh, with George Logan and some other things, the ads, which have been uh, a little stunning on both sides, Uh, not all from your campaign or his, but outside money. But uh, one more question, then we'll take a quick break. You know, I I wanted to talk about um, the Inflation Reduction Act. I think it's poorly named because I actually think there's some good things in it, but it's, I don't know that it's necessarily to reduce inflation. But I'm curious about the the culture in D.C. because I I was pretty surprised that it got through both houses. I mean, were you surprised you guys were able to get this done? Well, this is the result of the Inflation Reduction Act was over a year of negotiating. So I wasn't surprised when it came to the floor and it was voted on. And to your point, there's some amazing things in there. $360 billion for climate mitigation strategies, the first in our history. You know, there is Medicare negotiating costs that literally will save the federal government about $260 billion a year. We have legislation that was going to require corporations to pay their fair share in taxes. This is something that people have been asking for, something that as we are coming out of a pandemic, there's this idea that everybody should be doing their fair share. There's a lot of talk about the IRS and the hiring of IRS agents. If anyone has had to deal with the IRS, in 2021, I believe it was, they only answered 18% of calls. Uh, Unprocessed tax returns were up 35%. That agency had been gutted. And we really need to tighten up on some of these programs, make sure that we are having effective and efficient processing of returns and bringing money back to the federal government. Yeah, that one is, I, I think that the the opposition to that got in front of you and and, and the sponsors of the bill because the 87,000, it's over a 10-year pe- period. And but also the department had been gutted. No, That's no, and I get it. just to bring them back to staffing levels. I, I, and I get it. And But on the flip side, the talking point of, you know, there's no way that you can add that much staff and you probably will get an uptick in audits of the middle class. I mean, I think that's probably true. So I think that it's not like you're going to have, I thought it was very irresponsible, some of your colleagues in Washington to take that job description and say they're going to be armed because that's not the job that they're hiring for. So I thought that was really irresponsible. But I do think you have to acknowledge that if you're going to add that much staff, there probably will be an uptick in audits audits across the board. I mean, I think it's fair to say that it was unfair they characterized the 87,000, but it's also completely not not fair to to say that no one will be affected by that below the 400,000 threshold because I bet there'll be more audits. Well, again, the department was gutted, so they needed that hiring. It is over 10 years and federal tax evasion is a crime. How many times have we heard people say my my tax returns are, are being audited, and you've heard that for years and years. I and wish years. I could say that for in for perpetuity. years and years and years, yeah. and never have any resolution. But also, people call my office who have said, "I've been trying to get in touch with the IRS yeah. for seven months. Is there anything you can do to help me?" 
and we've had to intervene and step in. This is a federal agency that needs to be a lot more effective and efficient. So, And the penalties accrue even if you can't get in touch with exactly. somebody. Exactly. Yeah. The penalties continue to accrue. So answering only 18% of calls in a full year is unacceptable. We're talking with Congresswoman Johanna Hayes here of the 5th District. We're going to take a quick break. Again, I want to give more time to Congresswoman Hayes here on Brian and Company. By the way, we're just talking reading. Are you re- do you get to read a book for pleasure, like ever? Yes. Yes, I carve out time and do it myself. This summer, I actually read two books. Anything? It's worth, hard. Would you read anything worth sharing? Anything um, worth it? Or was it like you reading some nonfiction, like how to be a better leader? Or no, it definitely to- wasn't nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> definitely wasn't nonfiction. Just like beach reading stuff. Just or? like beach reading. Yes. Today is National Reading Day. Yes. Oh, I did not know that. I guess as a teacher, you would know that. Uh, let's talk campaign for a second. Um, the the ads against you are saying you're out of touch. And then the outside ads against George Logan sort of painted him as a no-exception pro-lifer, which she's been on record as saying he's not. Um, do you think that – how nasty is it getting in the fifth? You know, two – I mean, he's a credible candidate. You're, you're going for third term. Uh, you know, we've got 55% plus in, in both your elections. So both, both the credibility of the candidates is not an issue. But do you think it's gone too far, some of these ads? Um, well, I don't have any ads out, so the ads are not – that you're referring to the, the third party ads, right? The third party. You've ads. seen them. I've seen them. Yes, I believe that. Well, I know that I can win this race on the issues. I've done it before, and I have some really strong policy positions to stand upon, and that's what I intend to do. I would like to see uh, Mr. Logan do the same thing. You know, to continue to falsely accuse me of wanting to defund the police, which is absolutely not true. There's only seven Democrats on record as doing that, and I have voted time and time again and fought for resources to bring back to local police departments. This idea that I support abortion up until birth is absolutely not true, something I've never said. So can um, you clarify your position then? Um, I support late- Roe. I support codifying Roe and a woman's right to choose. And I think that that should be between a woman and her doctor. And what about, you know, the same as that exceptions for pro-lifers, if, if they want rape and incest, how do you feel about late term? Well, Roe goes up to, it says, up to viability, which is the end of the second trimester. After that, it's with the good faith um, direction of a doctor. I feel like that shouldn't be me as a elected official or a politician to weigh in on that at all. You know, it should be between a woman and her doctor. But to say, you know, I've said that or I've supported that I support abortion up till birth is just absolutely false. I try really hard not to characterize Mr. Logan outside of his voting record. You know, personally, you know, as a person, I don't know him as a person. I'd like to stick to the issues. I know I can win on the issues because I've done what the people in this district have asked me. So to that do. ad that basically says he's a no exception pro-lifer, it's it's not. That's not my ad. OK, that's not my ad. And I don't know what his voting record is on that. OK, we're talking with Congressman Johanna Hayes here on Brian and Company and WTSE News Talk 1080 on, on two two things. One one quickly. Are you going to debate George the, Logan? The uh, inv- the invitations are just now coming in, so I look forward to having the opportunity to share my positions so and you, the contrast. You would expect there will be? I expect that there will be, Okay, yes. so you're just hashing out where to do it and yes. so on and so forth. Welcome to have you both here, by the way. <laughs> we can do it on an informal basis, of course. You talk about the, the funding of police. It's interesting because there's a piece in the Republican-American about the Waterbury Police Department and how they're hemorrhaging Basically, they've lost, I think it was like 39 in the last year to both uh, departures mm-hmm. and 
retirements. And obviously, people, when they're eligible to retire, they can retire. And people are leaving for the suburbs for more money and less work. What, as a congresswoman, can you do to help the Waterbury PD? I mean, right now, they're just staying above water. Right. So I know a lot about this. My husband spent 25 years on the Waterbury Police Department, and my work in Congress has included getting COPS grants and funding to bring back to our cities, not only for recruitment and retention, but just to make sure that they have the resources to hire, to train, and to retain law enforcement. We've seen time and time again where departments have the money to hire people but not to keep them. Again, this is a good place for contrast. When my challenger was in the state Senate, he voted against raises for Connecticut State Police and for hazard duty pay for Connecticut State Police. Those are things that police need the resources, not just to be hired, but also all of those wraparound things, making sure that they can afford housing in the cities where they're working, make sure they have childcare for their children, their families. So it's all of those things that really make departments, large departments in urban centers, attractive to people. You know, me and my husband are from Waterbury, so he policed in the city where he was born and raised, so there was a different level of commitment. To now try to draw people in with all of the challenges that are that they're going to have to face once they get the job, they're going to need all the support that they can get. Young people don't want to do this. I don't want to be general, but I mean, it seems like young people don't. It's not their first instinct to do something like this anymore. And I have tons of friends from childhood who went on to be police officers, and it's just not not an enticing option. And 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 similarly with parts of education. And a lot of it's pay, but a lot of it's respect. Right. And, and, and you know, I think that both sides of the political aisle need to understand that, you know, people don't respect teachers and public safety officials enough. And, like, how, how do you roll that back? I mean, I see videos of what's going on in, like, whether it's Seattle or, I mean, it's crazy stuff going on. We're lucky, to be honest. We have crime, but, like, you should see where it is in other parts of the country. And I don't know how to, to roll that back. Well, I do see it, and I talk to many of my colleagues that are dealing with many of these things, but we have to start a lot earlier. In a city like Waterbury, their police athletic league has been amazing with engaging police and communities, having real honest conversations about the challenges and holding officers and people accountable when they do things wrong, but also supporting people who do the right thing. There cannot be this absolute where... Um, people are turning their head. We have some real challenges. So if you're asking people to rebuild trust and have those community policing relationships, that has to be a symbiotic relationship where both sides, the community and, you know, our chiefs of police, local law enforcement are engaging in those conversations. And I think that that is happening. But at the federal level, I will continue to support those efforts and really push for not only for the funding, but for the resources that they need on the ground. We talked to education. We talked row. We don't have a lot of time left. It's okay. crazy how quickly it goes. We'll do an hour next time, hopefully, <laughs> if we can get you to do that. The number one issue for you that distinguishes you from George Logan? Well, I think for me, it's just about leaving no one behind. I think a lot of people are talk, picking winners and losers. You know, who should have gotten help? Who should have received funding? I'll say, to your point, a lot of the ads that are talking about spending and inflation— We have a problem with inflation. We definitely have some issues that we have to tackle. But I ask people, in the midst of this pandemic, the largest economic and public health crisis that we've ever seen, I had small businesses that were in crisis. I had schools that didn't know how to open safely. I had, you know, first responders who needed help, hospitals who needed access to vaccines. My question to people is, who would you have left behind? 
Because for me, the answer was no one. So I really worked hard in the moment to bring all those people along. And I'm unapologetic about those efforts because all of those people in all 41 of those towns matter to me. And to try to now say, you know, it was too much or I shouldn't have helped one group is something that I'm not going to back away from. And I think that's the difference between us. I'm not trying to pick winners and losers. I represent every person in all 41 towns in my district. Come back again soon? Absolutely. Invite me back. Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, uh, Democrat in the 5th District. We appreciate the time, as always. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Your time is 9 o'clock. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.